The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with the Santa Claus rally falling flat as the Wall Street Magnificent Seven take a nosedive to start the year. Futures, though, pointing to modest gains at the open and... Not just big tech, another of the names that you know getting hit hard in the first few trading days of the year. All the more reason for today's big idea for Q1. It might be the best one yet. Also in the Red Sea, the U.S. and its allies issue what amounts to a final warning to Houthi rebels that are attacking ships in that region. Plus, Mark Zuckerberg cashes in on a blockbuster move in MetaShares. Then later in the show, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs reportedly trying to jump on the Bitcoin ETF bandwagon. It's Thursday, January 4th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures, as we mentioned before, in the green across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up almost 40 points higher. So this action, the pre-market after Another rough session for Wall Street. They saw the Dow and the S&P fall nearly 1%, and the Nasdaq Composite fall more than 1.3%. Ahead of the open, all three are on track to snap their nine-week win streaks. A big part of that move to the downside are chip stocks like AMD, Qualcomm, and Broadcom, all of them weighing on the SOXX chip ETF. Shares are now down almost 7% since hitting a record close back on December 27th and logging the best year for that ETF since 2009. Also this morning, another hit on Apple. Take a look. Shares falling again in the pre-market after Piper Sandler downgrades it from overweight to neutral, citing valuation concerns and broader handset and macro weakness in the first half of 2024. Uh, again, Apple shares down more than a half a percent in the pre-market week to date. You can see the number up there down almost 5%. We're also checking the bond market this morning with U.S. Treasury yields trading at their highest level in nearly three weeks. Take a look. The benchmark right now at 3.94, elevated across the board in the new year. We've seen bond yields rise. It's had a big impact on the markets. And we also want to look at energy this morning, oil in particular, coming off its best day since mid-November. Take a look. We're seeing those gains continue right now. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, up over one and a quarter percent. Brent crude just up over one percent. This is on some concerns about MIDI supply and also tensions in the Red Sea. We'll have much more on that coming up later in the show. But first, we have some breaking news from the White House announcing a preliminary deal with microchip technology as part of the administration's Chips and Science Act. Highlights from the release include $162 million in federal incentives to support onshoring of the company's semiconductor supply chain split across two separate product projects, one in Colorado Springs, Colorado, the other in Greshman, Oregon. The administration says the funding will triple manufacturing capacity at those two sites, making the microcontrollers primarily used for defense and space. This is the second funding announcements from the CHIP Act after the BAE deal back in December. We'll have more on this story throughout the hour. Christina Pratsenevelis will join us in just a bit. 
All right, but now let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. And our Silvana Hanau has those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Thursday morning to you all. Ford is raising the sticker price of some 2024 versions of the electric F-150 Lightning by as much as $10,000. The new base price for the pickup truck will range from $54,995 for an entry-level pro model to just under $93,000 for the platinum black trim version. Now, those models previously started from roughly $50,000 to $98,000. The F-150 Lightning is one of 19 electric vehicles that still qualify for the full $7,500 tax credit under new rules that went into effect on January 1st. Delinquencies on office loans hit a five-year high in 2023. That's according to data for the commercial mortgage-backed securities market. Moody says that rate could rise even further this year. Loans that are at least 60 days past due climbed to nearly 5.3% in November from 5.1% in October. Moody says delinquencies are expected to increase for borrowers who finance property at low rates, but now face higher costs on a wave of maturing debt. J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs are reportedly in talks with Grayscale Investments about playing a role in the firm's proposed spot Bitcoin ETF. Bloomberg and Coindesk report the banks are being considered to, quote, to be authorized participants, which would give them the power to create and redeem shares of the fund. Authorized participants help ensure an ETF's share price tracks with the underlying assets of the fund. There are 14 companies hoping to win SEC approval for a spot Bitcoin ETF. The SEC is expected to announce by January 10th, just a few days away, whether it will approve a fund from ARK and 21 shares. A lot to consider right there. Uh, Bitcoin having a big year last year. We'll have to see if yeah. that rally continues. 158%, yeah. Yeah, in the new year. Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see Good you a bit later in the show. All right, turn our attention now back to the markets. Santa Claus taking an early flight out of Wall Street as the markets, they struggle to find their footing in the new year. According to the Wall Street Journal, investors that believe the S&P 500 performance in January sets the stage for the rest of the year. They're now hoping for a turnaround in the weeks ahead. But a number of factors could prevent a positive January, including uncertainty around rate cuts, economic growth and inflation. Let's talk much more about this with Kevin Karen, senior portfolio manager at Washington Crossing Advisors. Kevin, happy new year. Good morning. Thank you for being here. <laughs> happy new year to you. All right. So we've kind of seen the Santa Claus rally fizzle out. We're going to show the audience a chart really spelling that out. Um, do you see the potential for a market turnaround in January? And how do rates figure into this? I was looking at the 10 year up about 15 basis points from where it opened just a week ago. Well, yes, we have a potential for a rally. I think it's going to be different than what we saw last year. And rates matter an awful lot because you don't have earnings growing very fast. The expectation for S&P earnings, while they're percolating a little bit higher, they're not galloping away. So and the the rally that we saw uh, coming into the, the holiday season, that rally was fueled almost entirely by a change in interest rate expectations. So, yes, there's a chance for a rally. Yes, it is very important what happens with interest rates, but the last part of this would be the rally that we expect in 2024 ought to be broader than the rally that we saw in 2023 in order for this to have to sustain from where it is. Right. All right. Yeah. Diversification has been a a big theme for the first few days of 2024. Um, Before we get to that, though, I do want to talk to you about some research that came out yesterday. Uh, This one from Fundstrat. Uh, According to Fundstrat, this is their research. Until or unless 4665 on the S&P 500 is breached, 
This pullback should likely begin to stabilize and turn higher in the days ahead, technically, and this should begin Thursday, Friday of this week. Uh, that 46.65 level is about a 2% decline from where we are right now. Uh, agree or disagree with this technical take? Well, we're not technicians at Washington Crossing, but what, what we would get at fundamentally is that you've got this, the, the market in the United States, the stock market, approaching once again $50 trillion in valuation. And to, to buttress that fundamentally, maybe you, you think about that relative to the underlying economy, which is about $27 trillion in size. So you're roughly two times GDP in terms of the value of the market. That would be a fundamental take on it. And the question to a fundamental investor would be, what happens to earnings and interest rates prospectively that would get us beyond that? So the short-term technicals, I'm going to leave to a technician, but the underlying economy, strengthen the underlying economy, some relief on interest rates would be what we would need uh, to get the, the market to move meaningfully higher from here. And we really would like to see it broaden out with greater participation. All right. So a lot of people are talking about small caps, value stocks right now as we continue to talk about that broadening. You say to focus on quality in this situation right now that we're in this environment. Uh, what exactly is quality? Yeah. So for Washington Crossing Advisors, it would be any company that is durable, that's predictable, that's flexible. And to get there, you want to look for companies that have very low debt in the capital structure, profitable assets, and predictable businesses. And we just think we distinguish the quality focus. A bond investor, for example, would think in terms of quality first and foremost. And we would distinguish that approach from someone who might instead say, well, should I own value or growth, which for us is really a non-starter as, a, as an investment question performing a portfolio. All right. Kevin Karen says focus on quality. Great to see you. Thank you very much. Thank All right, coming up here me. on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that investors have to know today. But first, as we get set to kick off peak post-holiday return season, we get a look at the 2023 e-commerce report card and the names making their way to the top of the list. Plus, the U.S. and its allies issue what amounts to a final warning to Houthi rebels that are attacking ships in the Red Sea. And then later, Rebecca Patterson is here with her best idea for your portfolio to start the new year. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at futures in the green across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up about 30 points higher. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day gets underway. Our Jemana Bersetti is in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Good morning, Jemana. 
Good morning, Frank. Well, finally, some green on these European markets. So all of the majors are trading in the positive. At this, after some macro data hit this morning, we had the final PMI numbers for the month of December come in higher than the flash. 47.6 was the print versus the flash estimate of 47. Markets also responding to some higher inflation numbers out of France this morning, in addition to German states. So all of that has meant bond yields have moved somewhat higher. But in general, the data has turned slightly more positive, which explains some of the green on the board. Fatigue 100 is the relative underperformers. You can see only up about seven basis points. A lot of focus on retail today. We had two of the big names in the FTSE 100 report earnings. Next, one of the names that is right at the top. They are up more than 5% in trading after better than expected results and strong guidance. On the flip side, JD Sports is down 22%, so really dragging down the retail sector. The likes of Adidas and the German index also down about 4% in reaction to those JD Sports results as well. And then finally, on, from the the PMI perspective within the UK, we also had an upward revision to the numbers there, coming in at 52.1 versus 51.7 on the flash estimate. So all in all, a better day in terms of uh, market composition. The leaders in sectors are oil and gas and utilities this morning. All right. Green day across the board in Europe. Germana, thank you very much. Turn our attention back here to the U.S. The holiday return season kicks off this week. The NRF is forecasting this year's return rate will increase to 18 percent from 16 and a half percent just a year ago. Key to those returns are reverse logistics, a higher margin business than B2B or B2C e-commerce, whose leaders include GXO, UPS, CH Robinson and FedEx. This after e-commerce during the peak shopping season surprised to the upside this year. Eighty three million packages were sent out per day. A percent above the estimate, though, still flat year over year. The metric most important to consumers, on-time delivery also improving. A number above 96 percent is good in the current environment, with more than 40 percent spare capacity in U.S. networks overall. It's also a proxy for network efficiency, which is very meaningful for FedEx and UPS. Retailers and other shippers also finding one of the most favorable transportation environments since the pandemic, with trucking rates below their 2023 average during the holiday peak. CBRE says warehousing rates fell slightly in mid-sized markets like Detroit and Baltimore as well. Joining me now with much more is Ryan Kelly, Vice President of Commercialization at FedEx. Ryan, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having us. So according to your data, returns at FedEx, they've increased by about 100,000 packages per day since the start of the pandemic. What are you expecting following this holiday peak? Well, we're actually right in the peak of our of our holiday peak return season. So it's a early innings right now. Um, but in general, we're seeing strong demand. We're seeing strong demand for our portfolio of solutions. And when we talk with merchants, what they're looking for, it's really three things. Can they reduce returns overall? Can they provide an awesome consumer experience? Uh, and then lastly, can they mitigate the cost? And, and we spend a lot of time uh, consulting with our customers about just those three things. Yeah, you have a lot of, uh, you know, big box customers, a lot of large retailers. Um, one other thing I want to ask you about is the changes to e-commerce. We actually just got some new data from Alex Partners, and they say the things that people are buying online, at least during the holiday season, has shifted pretty dramatically. When you look at things like sporting goods and also furniture, uh, those rates have increased and in-store buying's actually moved to the downside. How does that impact returns? It's kind of all over the board. You got to keep in mind returns is not just a, a peak season thing. It's not just a, a holiday season thing. Returns are an annual year long um, experience. 
you might have returns for healthcare, for uh, for medical test kits, those kinds of things. So there's a lot of trends uh, and there's a lot of dynamics. Yes, is there a trend for people at the margin looking for more services and experiences than products? Yes, but if you're like me and you're a dad, you know you buy the wrong Paul Patrol character. Um, you buy those shoes that don't fit, and that blue shirt just isn't the right blue. So as people buy different things online, like furniture, for example, these are larger things than like a sweater or a pair of sneakers. Does that improve the margins for your business? Is that better for a FedEx and a UPS and the other companies in this business? As the products get larger, oftentimes packaging becomes quite an issue uh, and making sure that, that that return is not damaged in the return process. And so it really just depends on what the product is and, and what that process is. We have a great service at FedEx office where we'll actually help people package their, their product for returns. We provide that as a service to the merchant itself to make sure that the, the, the return is not further damaged. All right. I mean, a, a damage to a return, of course, eats into margins for the retailer. I know a big part of your business is providing the transportation back and forth. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, Ryan. Here's the big question. Following this holiday season, are you expecting to see an uptick in returns as the NRF is forecasting? Are you seeing any other changes when it comes to return behavior? Absolutely. I would say we are looking for an uptick. The reality is e-commerce is still you know, a, a relatively small percentage of total retail sales. And in general, e-commerce has much higher return rates than an in-store experience. So we have that, that tailwind behind us for e-commerce, and that's going to drive return rates even higher. All right. I think that's good for FedEx's business in a couple ways, including your trucking business. Ryan Kelly, VP of commercialization for FedEx, says returns are on the uptick following this holiday peak, but it's returns peak right now. Ryan, it's great to see you, man. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, forget the NHL. There's a new Stanley Cup making all the headlines these days. And now Starbucks is betting big on the trendy drinkware with some surprising results. Sylvana and I were just talking about this yesterday. Uh, That and your other top trending stories, they are coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We turn now to a developing story as we continue to watch the simmering tensions in the Middle East. The United States and 12 allies issuing a new and final warning to Houthi rebels in the past 24 hours, ordering them to cease their attacks on ships in the Red Sea or face potential targeted military action. The Iran-backed militants have carried out more than 20 attacks on vessels in the region since December 19th, according to the AP and a senior White House official who declined to detail the rules of possible engagement with the Houthis. The group should, quote, not anticipate another warning from the U.S. and its allies. This is ocean freight rates have surged in response to the ongoing attacks, which is forcing shippers like Maersk, CMA and Hapag-Loy to avoid the Red Sea entirely and make the longer and costlier trip around Africa's Cape of Good Hope. All right, time now for a check of more of, more of this morning's headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Francis, good morning. 
Hi, Frank. Good morning. We begin with breaking news. The first batch of Jeffrey Epstein court documents has been unsealed. Forty exhibits were released, all from a settled lawsuit involving the late financier and convicted sex offender who killed himself in jail in August of 2019. The defamation suit in question was against Epstein's friend, Ghislaine Maxwell, the British socialite currently serving a 20-year prison sentence for trafficking young girls for and with Epstein. There is much interest around the disclosures because they're expected to name high-profile Epstein associates. However, most of the people in this first batch have been named before. Among them, former presidents Trump and Clinton. Neither man is accused or been accused of wrongdoing. Prince Andrew is also mentioned. He denies wrongdoing but settled a sexual abuse suit out of court in 2022. Other names include magician David, David Copperfield, lawyer Alan Dershowitz, and late New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson. NBC News has reached out to representatives for those three, but none has been charged with a crime. And Dershowitz has previously strenuously denied any involvement with underage girls. Turning now to the 2024 election, where former President Trump has asked the Supreme Court to step in and keep his name on the Colorado primary ballot. Colorado's highest court decided to ban the Republican frontrunner because of his actions related to January 6. This eligibility question has also been raised in the state of Maine. Donald Trump will remain on both ballots while his appeals play out in court. Frank, we send it back to you. All right, Francis, thank you very much. Francis Rivera, live in New York. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, U.S. homeowners today, they're sitting on a collective $10.6 trillion in home equity, and it's only growing by the day. But tapping into that wealth has been anything but easy. Our Diana Olick is coming up to see if the key consumer sector is set for a rebound. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Wax coming up right after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Wall Street coming off its worst day in more than a week as tech continues to hit stocks hard in the new year, but futures pointing to a possible bounce back. Also, breaking news this morning, the Biden administration inking a new multi-million dollar funding deal with one chip maker key in the national security supply chain. And then later in the show, we continue our week-long series laying out some of the top ideas from some top stock strategists for the quarter ahead. It's Thursday, January the 4th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. Futures in the green across the board. We're seeing the Dow hit its highs of the morning, looking like it would open up now about 50 points higher. So, this action you're seeing in the pre-market after another rough session for Wall Street, they saw the Dow and the S&P, they both fell nearly 1%. The Nasdaq Composite fell more than 1.3%. And ahead of the open, all three, as you can see on the chart right here, they're on track to snap nine-week win streaks. Uh, the Nasdaq Composite down almost 3%. A big part of that move to the downside are chip stocks like AMD, Qualcomm, and Broadcom, all of them weighing on the SOXX chip ETF. Uh, shares are down almost 7% since hitting a record close back on December 27th and logging its best year since 2009 for the chip ETF. This morning, we're also watching Apple on yet another downgrade. Take a look at Apple shares down almost three quarters of 1%. You can see for the week, they're down just about 5%. And we're also checking the bond market this morning with U.S. Treasury yields trading at their highest level in nearly three weeks. Taking a look at the benchmark Right now at 3.95 uh, across the board, a bit elevated. Also, we're looking at energy this morning. 
Oil coming off its best day since mid-November. WTI up over a percent. Brent crude falling off of its highs of earlier today, but still up almost 1%. Let's get back to this morning's breaking news and a new announcement from the White House and its more than $52 billion Chips and Sciences Act. Our Christina Partsinevelis joins me now with much more on this breaking news. Christina, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, the Biden administration is again choosing to focus on national security and the military with its second CHIPS Act grant. Microchip will be the recipient of a preliminary $162 million award. So think of microchip, they make microcontrollers. Think of them as like small little circuits used for very specific technology tasks but involve less advanced chips. So it's not like the NVIDIA chips used in AI systems. These mature chips are critical though for America's auto, industrial, and defense industries. $90 million of the CHIPS Act grant will be used to modernize and expand Microchip's fab or foundry in Colorado Springs. And then you also have the remaining $72 million that will be used for a fab in Oregon. Expect new equipment, which would bode well for firms like ASML, LAM, ADI, Applied Materials. The award, though, would be entirely in grants, which means the company may get even more funding from tax breaks and loans. The $162 million won't be awarded as a lump sum either, but rather split over the next few years. Senior administration officials did promise this grant would triple production and produce about 700 new jobs on U.S. soil. The goal is to reshore production so Microchip is less reliant on foreign suppliers. So rather than pick Intel or Taiwan Semiconductor as first recipients, the Biden administration is choosing to focus on national security chip producers like Microchip. Just a few weeks ago, the first official Chips Act award of $35 million was allocated to BAE Systems a military contractor. $162 million for microchip and $35 million for BAE is a lot of taxpayer dollars. But the almost $53 billion CHIPS Act funding actually has about $39 billion allocated to improving chip manufacturing on American soil. The Department of Commerce will have their hands full after receiving 570-plus statements of interest and over 170 pre- and full applications for funding. So that means... $39 billion, there's still a lot of money left to be dispersed, Frank. So, Christina, you mentioned $39 billion left to be dispersed. When it comes to microchip technology, you mentioned how important it is for national security. Why isn't the government fully funding? So, so just to clarify, so you have $162 million for microchip, $39 for BAE, and then that's coming from a $39 billion pot of money, of taxpayer right. dollars. The whole point of this is to encourage private investment. So the government is, you know, on all the calls that we've had with senior officials, they wanted to reiterate that they're only helping these companies continue their production. With Microchip, they actually made this announcement of this expansion back in February. When I asked the senior official on the call, how much is Microchip going to get specifically? Uh, I mean, sorry, how much is Microchip going to pay themselves? They wouldn't tell us. They just said the company's investing. We're giving them money to expand the pace of, of this production. So it's just supposed to give them that extra push and, and help them create more jobs in America. But it's not supposed to be a government handout. However, we didn't really get details on exactly how much they're going to get every single year. And if there's any specific milestones, like you got to stop relying on China. All right, Christina Partsinevelis, great to see you. Some breaking news on the chips apps. Uh, going to microchip technology, uh, those shares down about a half a percent. Thank you again. All right, time now for a check on some Thanks. of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank, I'm back. Good morning. 
Let's start with Mark Zuckerberg cashing in on Meta Platform's 2023 rally in a very big way, selling 1.3 million shares, or that's close to about $430 million worth over the final two months of the year. Meta shares surged close to 200% last year and are up nearly threefold since hitting a seven-year low back in November 2022. Meanwhile, shares of CalMain Foods are under pressure ahead of the open. Right now, down a little bit over 5% um, after the egg-producing giant missed Wall Street estimates for its most recent quarter as falling egg sales weigh on results. The report comes as the company tries to push past a court case that ruled it conspired to limit egg supplies and push prices higher. And starting April 1st, CVS Health will no longer offer AbbVie's Humira to most of its millions of patients subscribed to its commercial prescription plans, opting for cheaper generics instead that became available last year. CVS, CVS's Caremark unit is the first major pharmacy benefit manager to announce such a move. Humira sales topped $21 billion in 2022 and is projecting sales to drop nine to drop $9 million this year, and that's due to those copycat drugs, Frank. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. All right, turn our attention now back to stocks and what's been a very rough start to the new trading year and a rare case where the Santa rally failed to materialize. Since December 22nd, the S&P is down nearly 1% when the final five trading days of one year and the first two of the next, on average, produce a gain of 1.3%. Some of the hardest hit names over the past week are the same ones that have seen their share prices double over the course of 2023. We're talking names like Norwegian Cruise Line, Carnival Cruise, Royal Caribbean, and AMD. Others just extended losses from last year like Insulet Corp and Enphase Energy. The broad-based sell-off is just one reason my next guest's top idea for the first quarter. It may be the best one yet. Joining me now, Rebecca Patterson, former chief investment strategist at Bridgewater Associates. Rebecca, good morning and happy new year. Great to see you. Hey, good morning, Frank. All right. So your idea for us for Q1 is to diversify. So give us a sense. I know the Magnificent Seven dominated last year, but why is it especially important now to diversify your portfolio? Well, it's always important, but I think this year in particular, when you have year-end S&P forecasts coming out that range from 42 to 5,200, when you have a manufacturing sector that's been contracting for a year, but a consumer that's still incredibly resilient, a host of risks, both externally and within the United States, this is a time where you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. And so I think you obviously want to keep some money in equities. The soft landing uh, probabilities have increased, even though it's not a done deal. But knowing that it might be a bumpier landing, knowing that the consumer might run too hot and rates stay higher for longer, you want to be thinking about all those scenarios. And I think in that case, you want your equities. I still like being focused on the U.S., relatively speaking. You also want to keep some cash, at least in the short term. 5% yield on cash is almost the same as the median expected return on the S&P this year without the same amount of risk. So having some cash, some dry powder, I think also having some more longer duration bonds, I think the upside on the yield on the 10-year has become smaller now that the Fed has shown it's going to be creative with supply where it issues on the curve. And then finally, I like having some gold, a small amount of gold in portfolio as a diversifier as well. It might not see the same sort of gains as some of the other asset classes, but it's going to help protect you if we have a bumpier landing or one of those various geopolitical risks become reality. I mean, you're really talking about diversification, equities, bonds, commodities, the whole thing. 
So you recently had a great op-ed in the Financial Times. Uh, the title of it, Four U.S. Soft Landing Questions for 2024. One of your questions was consumption and basically business confidence. So yesterday we had the Atlanta Fed. It came out with its GDP now. Uh, its Q4 GDP forecast raised partly due to expectations for personal consumption and private investment to increase. Does that answer any question for you, at least any early questions? And does that paint how you want to diversify? Yeah, I mean, when you say soft landing and and Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby recently commented in a speech that it basically has never happened in history. So what we're talking about, even though it's increasingly possible, is still not you know an easy thing to do. And I think to get that soft landing, to your point, Frank, the consumer is obviously the most important part of it. It's it's the vast majority of what drives U.S. growth. And we need a consumer that's not too hot and not too cold. If the consumer runs too hot, service sector wages stay elevated. The Fed can't cut rates as much as discounted. That's going to be a headwind for stocks. If the consumer slows down too fast, then we get companies getting more cautious, laying off workers. And then we see the unemployment rate rising and the Fed may not react to it as fast as the market would like. So you have risks on both sides of things. I think the data we're seeing so far suggests a consumer that is still resilient and just moderating. And that is exactly what we want to see for the soft landing. But it's not enough. We also need to see labor supply going up, competition for labor going up. So wages coming down because of supply, not demand. Um, And then we also want to see commodity prices lower. That would help bring down inflation uh, without destroying demand. And oil, for the last two days at least, is going the wrong way. We are watching oil prices up about a percent right now. Rebecca Patterson, it is really great to see you. I hope to see you again very soon. Thanks so much. All right, turn our attention now to the U.S. housing market. Homeowners today, they're sitting on a massive amount of home equity, and it's only growing by the day, but they're not tapping into that wealth as much as they have in the past. Our Diana Olick is here to see if this key consumer sector is set for a rebound. Diana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, current homeowners are sitting on roughly $10.6 trillion in home equity that they can access while still keeping 20% equity in their homes. That's just 3% short of the 2022 peak. They are not, however, tapping it. Well, why not? Because mortgage rates have been so high, so the cost of taking it out is higher. Just 0.41% of total equity available at the beginning of Q3 was actually withdrawn during the quarter, and that's according to ICE Mortgage Technology. That's less than half the average withdrawal rate from 2010 to 2021. That is the 12 years leading up to the Fed's tightening cycle and that period. By the way, covered all kinds of rate and market dynamics during those years. Now, homeowners were consistently taking out about 1% of available equity each quarter. So what does that mean in real cash? Well, it's equivalent to $54 billion in sort of missing withdrawals during that quarter that might have otherwise stimulated the broader economy. And that's according to ICE's Andy Walden. Over the last 18 months, he calculates $250 billion in lost spending. So people aren't taking the money out, again, because interest rates are so high. But rates are now moving lower. And if they move significantly lower, that could change. As it is, cash-out refinances make up more than 90% of the latest refi activity, with those borrowers who do do that withdrawing a record $104,000 each on average. That's up from an average $65,000 just two years ago. So the opportunity there is, is there, Frank. So, Dan, a question for you. I'm sure there's a lot of homeowners that ears perked up when you talked about all this money that's sitting in uh, U.S. homes right now, $10.6 trillion. 
What are the best ways to take that cash out of your house without it costing too much? Well, that depends on your personal situation, what your current mortgage rate is on your first mortgage. So if you have a super low rate in the two, three, even low 4% range, you probably don't want to do a cash out refinance, which is generally the best way to do it, because then you're going to trade up to a six or pretend 7% rate right now. Now, home equity lines of credit or home equity loans are second loans. They carry higher interest rates, anywhere between 8 and 10% right now. But if it's short term and it might be a smaller amount of cash that you're not paying so much on, that could be the cheaper option. So as I always say, Frank, you just got to do the personal math on it and see which one works best. All right, all right Diana Olick with the latest on the housing market. Diana, thank you very much. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, another big downgrade for Apple this morning, this time from Piper Sandler, and it's hitting the stock in the pre-market. We have your morning call sheet coming up next. But first, some of your top trending stories, the chance to dress like a member of the Royal, the Roy family, I should say, it's here. A t-shirt worn by Reuben Roy in HBO Succession going for $1,000 at auction. Wow, far higher than its original $14 price tag at Walmart. Other items up for grabs include Cousin Greg's Burberry bag, Shiv's collection of power suits and Tom's amber glass Coke bullets. That's interesting. Uh, Elvis saying, welcome to my world once again. The late singer making a virtual reality comeback and a show set to hit London, Las Vegas, Tokyo, and Berlin. The Elvis Evolution will use AI, augmented reality, and live theater to recreate key events in Presley's life and in the King's music. And a game of Tetris finally meeting its match. 13-year-old Willis Gibson becoming the first player to officially beat the original Nintendo version of the game, which has long been considered unbeatable. Tetris, which celebrates its 40th anniversary this year, conceding the victory, calling it a monumental achievement. I know I've tried many, many times. I even had a Game Boy. I tried it on a Game Boy. I couldn't do it. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We start with Piper Sandler downgrading Apple to neutral from overweight, also cutting its price target from 220 to 205 a share. It cites valuation concerns and a broader macro issues, as well as handset weakness in the first half of the year. Separately, Piper is upgrading Micron to overweight, saying pricing momentum for high bandwidth memory chips will provide a tailwind. Taking a look at shares of Apple, obviously the biggest stock in the U.S. market, down three quarters of 1%. All right, KeyBank is downgrading Enphase Energy and Sunrun to sector weight. It believes the timing and recovery of demand for Enphase is uncertain due to a poorly quantifiable inventory glut. As for Sunrun, the downgrade is based on valuation. Oppenheimer is also cutting PayPal to perform from outperform with profitability falling as the shift from branded to unbranded volume continues. Oppenheimer does not think PayPal's P.E. multiple will expand in any meaningful way in the near term. Taking a look at shares of PayPal down almost 1%. All right, time now for your global briefing. We begin with some China news. China's one step forward, two steps back economic recovery, taking another step in the right direction. The country's private Saishin Services Index recording its fastest expansion in five months in December. The report contrasting greatly with Beijing's official survey that showed the service sector shrinking last month. Japan also out with some manufacturing data overnight, showing December activity shrinking at its fastest pace in 10 months on weaker domestic and overseas demand. U.K. fashion giant Next raising its pre-tax profit guidance for the year, citing better-than-expected sales during the pre-Christmas business period. This marks the fifth hike to Next guidance so far this fiscal year. For fiscal 2025, the company sees full price sales rising by 2.5 percent 
and group sales rising by 6%. Take a look at shares of Next right now. They're up 5%, one of the leading stocks over in Europe. Uh, ByteDance owned TikTok, reportedly looking to grow the size of its e-commerce business to as much as $17.5 billion this year. TikTok's push through its social media reach and viral videos increases competition for a number of online retailers, including Amazon, Timu, and Shein. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today. Plus, Stephanie Link is here with her catch-up trade and the new basket of names that she's adding to her portfolio. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, and other podcast apps. Much more Wax coming up after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Another rough morning shaping up for Apple on top of yet another downgrade. The company settled a lawsuit that claimed it knowingly allowed scammers to exploit its gift cards and use the stolen funds to pay off taxes, cover hospital bills, and respond to debt collection. Shares of Apple down just about 1% right now. Ford is raising the price of some of its F-150 Lightning models, now going for between $54,000 and $93,000 compared to the previous range of $50,000 to $98,000. Meanwhile, Ford is also lowering the cost of its platinum and platinum black vehicles by five dollars and $7,000, respectively. Office loan delinquencies hitting a five-year high in 2023, a rate Moody says could rise even further this year, especially for borrowers who finance property at low rates, but now face higher costs as more debt matures. J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs reportedly in talks with Grayscale Investments over a potential role in the firm's spot Bitcoin ETF. The authorized participant role would give the banks the power to create and redeem shares of that fund. Kathy Wood scooping up 216,000 shares of Tesla in the last two weeks after selling them for most of last year. The stock is down nearly 6% in the last week, but still up almost 110% over the past 12 months. And the viral Starbucks Stanley Cup now auctioning for $200 on eBay after selling out at Target on the same day it hit the shelves. The TikTok popularized travel mug has caused long lines, overnight campouts, and chaos in stores among its release. It's just a thermos, people. It's just like a, a, an insulated cup, but people seem to love it. All right, here's what to watch today. The December ADP employment report out at 8.15 a.m. Eastern time. That's followed by weekly jobless claims at 8.30 a.m. We get results from Dow component Walgreens, Boots Alliance, as well as Conagra Brands, both before the opening bell. All right, Wall Street put out the milk and the cookies, but Santa was a no-show this year. The market's failing to stage the annual Santa Claus rally, with the S&P 500 falling almost a percent over the final five trading days of December and the first two of January. It's the worst performance since 2015-2016, and it snaps a string of seven positive years. This morning, however, futures, they are in the green right now. Looks like the Dow would open up just about 25 points higher than NASDAQ, firmly in the green despite that Apple downgrade. Joining me now is Stephanie Link, Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager at Hightower. She's also a CNBC contributor and friend of the show. Happy New Year. It is great to see you. Happy New Year. It's great to see you. So give us a sense. How do you see today's market day shaping up? As we just mentioned, the Santa Claus rally didn't happen. What's your WEX word of the day? 
Well, my Lex word of the day is uh, uh, reversion, meaning mean reversion into laggards. And that's what we actually have been seeing uh, over the last couple of weeks, actually, since the bottom of October, the uh, equal weight S&P 500 actually has outperformed the market cap weight of the S&P 500 by 200 basis points. What does that mean? It just means that we're starting to see a broadening out in the market. And it started, it's actually continued into this year. Um, in the last couple of days, you've seen a sell-off in technology and comm services, and you've seen uh, some of the uh, lagging sectors, uh, financials and um, healthcare utilities all doing a little bit better. So I think you're going to continue to see that, Frank, because I think if we do have a soft landing, earnings are going to come in pretty good at, for a lot of different sectors okay. and a lot of different companies, not just the MAG-7. So I know you're watching the broader economy. It kind of shapes your view of the markets as well. So yesterday, the Atlanta Fed came out with its uh, real-time GDP number. They actually raised what they expected for Q4 GDP from 2% to 2.4%. And they said that's, excuse me, 2.5%. And they said that's largely due to uh, continued consumer spending and business confidence. Uh, What does that make you think about the markets as you see this broadening? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about soft landing, but honestly, the data supports soft landing for now, right? You just said 2.5% GDP, consumers doing better, manufacturing, parts of it are seeing a renaissance due to a lot of the infrastructure bills that have been passed. Inflation is coming down. Yesterday's jolts number, the number was in line, but more importantly, the quits number came down, and that's a leading indicator for wages. So wages are coming down. That's what the Fed wants to see. And layoffs, though, at the same time, are lower. So that is the recipe for soft landing. And I think that, again, is going to translate into better earnings ahead. And, again, kind of a broadening out uh, into other sectors because they are still uh, very cheap and kind of still unloved. Let's talk about one of the laggards last year, healthcare. That's also where you have some picks for us. Why are you feeling bullish on healthcare yeah. right now? So, yeah, well, it's definitely a laggard group from last year for sure. But they have great product innovation, strong free cash flow. There was over $370 billion of M&A that has taken place over the last year. That's really gone, gone unnoticed, in my opinion. And the valuations are pretty attractive. And you have some picks for us as well. Yeah. So GE Healthcare is one I have owned, um, and I like it very much uh, for this year. Um, basically, it's a spin, spin out from GE, which, by the way, I also like GE. But GE Healthcare, it's a spin out. And I like spin outs because that means the management teams can be focused on execution and growth. And that's what they have been doing. And in 2024, I expect hop, hospital CapEx to be up okay. to 2.5% focused on imaging and ultrasound, and that's where they have the dominant market share. So mid-single-digit organic growth and margin expansion means about 13% earnings growth for the year. You've also added Bristol-Myers and J&J. Steph, always great to see you. Thank you very much. You have a great day. One quick look at futures before we let you go right now. As we mentioned all morning long, futures solidly in the red, even though we didn't see the Santa Claus rally. Looks like the Dow would open up just about 35 points higher. That does it for us. Have a great day. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. 
with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.